the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Sixty-eight years of top-flight football could be hanging by a thread at Goodison Park this morning as the weight of history continues to weigh heavy over Frank Lampard. The Toffees were humbled 5-0 away from home at Tottenham last night and their long, long unbroken streak as a Premier League club could be in more danger than ever before. We'll be covering the latest reaction to the fallout from North London last night as Lampard and his embattled players come in for some sharp criticism. But there's no time to sit around and mope because they are battling for their Premier League lives. And apologies in advance, Evertonians, because there is more bad news on the way. Just as things look to falter on the blue side of Stanley Park, Liverpool's quadruple, yes, quadruple push picks itself back up this evening. Serie A giants into Milan head to Anfield, but despite what Jurgen Klopp would have you believe, the Reds 2-0 first leg lead has given them one foot already in the quarter finals. That's all to come in part one and part two of the show. And then to wrap it all up, we'll be continuing the North West flavour with the latest soap opera at Manchester United. Marcus Rashford, yes, King Marcus, is reportedly considering his future and could leave United this summer. So big, big piece of news coming out of Old Trafford this morning. Plenty to get through on today's show. My name's Fergal Brennan on Tuesday duty. Joining me today, we have Marley Anderson. Marley, how's things? Good morning. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, not too bad today. Yeah, just, uh, just re-watching through these first highlights again. Um, trying to make sense of what went Car on crash Everton, TV. But yeah, it's uh, Christ. I'd I'd see better on a Sunday league at, uh, in terms of everything's defending, but sure, we'll go into that a bit later. And uh, we also have the boss man, Jim Salveson. Jim, are you sticking metaphorical pins in your eyes by watching Everton's defending from last night? Oh, it was shocking, wasn't it? I mean, the first 15 minutes, I think, was OK for Everton. Anything beyond that, I mean, I'll be amazed if any Evertonians hung on till the last few minutes of that one. It was proper horror show. Yeah, it was. It was bad, but... Like anything, we have to take our medicine and, and it's where we're going to kick off uh, on today's show, Jim. It was an embarrassing night for Everton down in North London. 5-0 defeat away from home. Their heaviest defeat in the Premier League since the final day of last season when they lost 5-0 at Manchester City. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for Everton last night. Everyone in a blue shirt and Frank Lampard on the sidelines just looked just looked down on their luck. Nobody really seemed to know what was going on, how to fix it, how to change it. And individual errors, team errors, tactical errors, no direction, Lampard in his substitutions, the players probably after 50, 60 minutes essentially holding their hands up and saying, listen, it's over, ref, blow the final whistle. It really does look grim. We're going to talk about the relegation picture and where Everton are in it in just a second. But on the back of last night, 5 nil. The Lampard bounce hasn't happened, Jim, and things are looking really, really tough for Everton. It was grim last night, really, really grim. And I think Lampard said afterwards that he now realises what he needs to do at Everton. And you know what? He's been there long enough to get a grip on that far before this game came around. And yeah, it was individual errors last night that really finished Everton off Michael Keane's own goal at the start yeah it was a bad start a bad way to concede your first and then 
Pickford really should have done better with the second for the third. The defence didn't push up in time, didn't play Kane offside. So it was these little errors, these little mistakes that Everton were punished for. But it wasn't just those. It was all over the pitch. Spurs just looked hungrier last night. They pressed better. They broke faster. They did everything at a level above Everton. And Spurs are where Everton want to be. Everton see themselves as a top six side. They've spent the money to be a top six side. But on the evidence of last night, they're absolutely bloody miles off. They couldn't be closer. And they are looking more like relegation fodder than they are potentially creeping up the table. We said yesterday on the podcast when we previewed this game, we said Everton have enough games in hand to be safe. If they win their games in hand, suddenly they're sitting 11th, 12th round Brighton's position they'll be fine. But that only counts if they can win some of those games or draw some of those games in hand. And on the evidence of last night, they're going to struggle to do that. They're not going to do that. And suddenly those games in hand will disappear. It means their fixture congestion is worse between now and the end of the season. And I think suddenly, on the back of last night, if they'd lost 1-0, 2-0, probably there wouldn't be the panic there is now. But the fact they got absolutely turned over by Spurs, and that is going to knock confidence going into the next few games, I think suddenly they're in real trouble. Confidence is obviously through the floor at the moment, Marley, with Everton. And Jim is right. It was individual errors and it was the way the defence was set up that just played into Tottenham's hands. Keane, Pickford, Seamus Coleman, all culpable for at least one goal each. Keane banging it into his own net, coming off the back of his error that allowed Phil Foden to score the winner for Manchester City last weekend. And you just look at the situation and how we connect Everton with being defensively if you think back to the David Moyes days the dogs of war in the 90s they didn't give anything up they didn't concede loads of goals they just cannot keep a clean sheet they haven't kept a clean sheet in the Premier League since November I had to kind of scroll back when I was doing the research for this podcast this morning because I couldn't quite believe I was talking about Everton when I was saying that there's only three teams in the Premier League that have conceded more goals than them this season and in the last three in the Premier League with the back four that played last night of Coleman, Keane, Mason Holgate and John Joe Kenny who's been for some reason drafted in at left back they've conceded eight goals in the last three Premier League games these are damning numbers just at the point when they need a bit of stolidity they need a bit of grit their back four just cannot keep the ball out the net yeah they they need they need everything they need they haven't got anything where you say well that wasn't that wasn't that bad it's not it's not like they were like creating chances and missing them but defending poorly like everything last night was just was was awful um you know, coming off the back of the Man City result, you're thinking, you know what, Everton will be hard to beat here because they'll be up for that. Um, you know, they, they nearly got something against Man City. Probably the 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 team that has got closest to Man City in um, in the last two months or something. Um, and you're thinking, oh, you know, they'll they'll fancy this because they need the points. Spurs are, are up and down more times than a than a yo-yo at the minute. You can't tell whether they're going to win five nil or get battered five nil. Um, and you know, as it as it turned out last night, it was the it was one of their chances to win five nil. But Everton made it too easy, you know. Um, what was it? Fourteen minutes in before Keane's just volleyed one into his own top corner. Ironically, the best finish Everton had produced all season was into their own own net. So uh, you know that that just set the tone, and then it was like, okay, that's that's a setback, but keep it tight for the next ten minutes, and then you know, two minutes later, they're two nil down. And they're three 0 by half time, and the game's gone. And then to make to make it even worse, you know, at, at half time, 
all you all you do like, at any level of the game, whether it's under tens, under eighteens, reserves, or the Premier League, you know the, the the only thing the manager says to you when you're that far behind at half time is let's just keep it tight for ten fifteen minutes. Let's try and get a foothold in the game. Let's try and string ten passes together, and then we can think about you know imposing ourselves on the game. <laughs> what do they do? They concede within the first minute of kickoff in the second half. Like it, it's just. It was unbelievably bad by Everton. You go through the team, like you say, Kenny at left back doesn't really make much sense. They signed Nathan Patterson for for sixteen million quid. I don't think he started a Premier League game since moving from Rangers. Um, Mikalenko was dropped last night. Uh, came on at I think he came on at half time for for John Joe Kenny or something. But still, I know he's got other things going on in his life. But um, you know, he's the only recognised left back at that club. So why is he why is he not playing? Um, Could do with a player like Luca Dean, couldn't they? Luca Dean would be a decent signing for them, yeah. wouldn't he? Wonder what he's up to now. <laughs> yeah. So they do dual registration. Here's a question for you, Marley. Go on. Here's a, here's a question for you. When you look at that Everton side, because I look at that team that played last night, and with a few exceptions, I've got no idea where the money they've spent over the last few years has gone, because it's a poor team. But if you look at that, particularly the back four, in terms of players, if Everton got relegated, what players would you pick off from that eleven? There aren't many, are they? And for a team that should be looking at, like I say, the top half of the table, they're they're poor. Yeah, um, I take you. But obviously, Richarlison and Calvert Lewin speak for themselves. But you know, they have got good players. It's just uh, you know, I don't know how they can't form a decent team. Um, Alan, I like them. I like I like Alan in midfield. I think he's a good player, like a proper combative. You know, stick your foot in. You're not getting past him type of player, but. When he's not up for it, like you know, when and when also when he's being completely outnumbered in midfield, I think you know he, he, you obviously see the worst of him type of thing. I mean, it was uh, it was it was so bad last night. I mean, I seen uh, a tweet made me laugh. Honestly, the um, the somebody tweeted like this team on paper isn't bad, and it was a picture of the Everton starting lineup um, from last night, and it just the caption said this team isn't bad. This this team on paper shouldn't go down. Um, and somebody replied with, "Yeah, but on grass it's <laughs> <laughs> the kind of Jim, the kind of the kind of pile on of Everton just just continued after the game on social media that some of the pundits and the commentators that were were discussing the game and, and Jamie Carragher said something that was a real dagger at Everton, considering that he's actually an Everton fan as well as being a Liverpool legend. Bit of a strange one for for Carragher there, but." Um, he called them a championship defence. Now that is a that is a real criticism from a, someone who's been a Premier League defender for for years and years and years. But the defenders in the defence last night, particularly Keane and Coleman, have been around the block in terms of playing for Everton and playing in the Premier League. And you look at the championship now: Fulham, Bournemouth. I've just been scanning through their teams and and their defences: Fulham, Tim Ream, Dennis Adoy, Tosin Adebayo, who used to be at, at Manchester City. Arguably, there isn't a massive difference. And Frank Lampard was asked about the Jamie Carragher comment in his own post-match and he wasn't too happy about it. But he did tie into this thing of a reaction. And this is, for me, the big mystery with Everton. You understand when a team is short on confidence that they can't get the ball forward and play exciting football. But there's so much experience and grit, or what you would assume gritty characters in that team, that they wouldn't just roll over. Coleman, Keane... Ali coming off the bench, Alan, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. These are players that do have fight in them, but last night they looked beaten. Yeah, 
It's it's tricky, isn't it? Because Coleman and Keane, you're right, have got endless experience in the Premier League. And maybe that's part of the problem, the fact that they are reaching the wrong end of their careers. And actually, you look at that Everton defence and it lacks a little bit of pace as well. And that's probably where Tottenham had so much success last season because they broke uh, last night because they, they broke at such incredible pace that it just caught Everton out on a couple of occasions. But Everton seem to have this kind of soft underbelly at the moment. And as a team, if you put them under any kind of pressure, they buckle. And that seems to be what's happening. That's why their away form is so poor, is that every time they get pressured by the opposition, that's it, it's gone. They can see the couple of goals, heads drop, that's it, game over. But, but the problem at the moment is they also seem completely blunt in attack. I mean, Calvert-Lewin coming back last night will be a big bonus for them. He's been a massive miss this season. But still, he's not a player you can rely on to get 20 goals a season. He's not going to drag you up the table single-handedly. Richarlison is a great player, but he doesn't seem maybe it's the players around him he doesn't really seem to be offering as much as he has in previous seasons this season so it seems like there should be the fight in that team you're right but at the same time who are the natural leaders maybe Michael Keane maybe Seamus Coleman I'm not sure Richarlison's necessarily a natural leader I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin's a natural leader Alan potentially I mean he's certainly a combative midfielder but I'm not sure he's the kind of player who does he he speak the language enough to be a leader yeah you don't see him kind of that's a problem with him you know yeah you don't see him like dragging the players up around him do you You don't see him kind of like directing in the middle of park but so maybe that is one of the problems they lack and I don't necessarily know that Lampard is the man who has that leadership ability either off the pitch we know he was a great captain at Chelsea but does he have the ability or the experience to coach Everton out of their current situation he did okay with Derby and a side that were expected to do probably more than okay he did well at Chelsea at first but that fell away and we've seen that before with coaches new managers that come into a position and they benefit from the work and tactical experience of the previous manager have an instant impact but that kind of fades away it happened with Slavin Bilic at West Ham he did really well as a man motivator in the first season and a half but when the coaching of the previous managers had kind of tailed off that's when it fell apart there that kind of happened with Lampard at Chelsea so is he the man that can kind of instill that leadership into Everton I don't know because usually when your backs are against the wall when you're at the wrong end of the table you go for experience you go for a safe option and I don't know whether Frank Lampard well he wasn't the safe option he was a bit of a bold choice wasn't he for Everton and now he really needs to prove himself he proves that if he hasn't got a leader on the pitch he needs to be the leader off the pitch and he needs to make things happen and there's no evidence at the moment I don't think from his time at Everton that he can actually necessarily do that Before we move on to Tottenham Marley how do we assess the situation for Everton probably again on a night of damning stats the one that sticks out for me is that 22 points after 25 games is the lowest total in Everton Football Club history at this point in the season going back way before the Premier League they've never been in such a lowly position at any point in their history Lampard tried to stay calm, talked about the games at hand in his post-match press conference and they do have a situation where there's a little bit of a get-out. They've only played 25, Burnley below them have played 26, Leeds above them have played 27 and Brentford have played 28. So there is a little bit of a lifeline there in terms of that game or, or two games in hand but it needs to happen and it needs to happen now. Where do you see Everton? There is still going to be a few more twists and turns but it looks bad. Can they dig themselves out? Uh, well time's running out I think you can't look at last night and say you know they'll they'll be alright in the end Um, 
with any sort of confidence because they were that bad, you know. Um, I still think they'll they'll do just about enough. But I mean, if you know one thing about Burnley, it's that they will pick up points towards the end of the season because they play the same every week. Some weeks it's good enough, and some weeks it's not. But they will play to a very similar level. Like they were second half against Chelsea, they were they were god awful. But they won't be that bad again this season, I don't think. Um, and Everton need a response now. They need to dig in and fight because this is this is serious. If they didn't think it was serious before, getting slapped five nil when the game's over after half an hour against Spurs, that is that should be the the big warning sign and the big wake up call because you know this is this this is getting serious now. There's 13 games to go for them. They're you know one point above the drop zone. Um, and after the start, this this is what shocked me. After the start of the season, the first three games they won them all. They took nine points from the first three games and they've took 13 since. So they've took 13 points from 22 games. So if they if we, if they were without those three wins by Benitez at the start of the season, they'd have um, 13 points at the bottom of the table and there'd be four points adrift of Norwich in 19th if, if, if that's how it worked out. So that is... If that's not panic stations right now, um, Everton need to be need to be much much better and, and much much faster than they have been as well because you know they've even the draws they've only drawn four games this season which suggests if if they don't win they're not gritty enough and they don't grind out enough you don't stick in and say well you're not beating us two or three nil we're you know we're, we're gonna fight and we'll nick a late equalizer here and there um and you look at their their upcoming games you know, it could be it could be really really bad. They've got Wolves next, who don't concede many goals. Then they've got Newcastle. I mean, one nil um, Wolves. That'll be guaranteed. Yeah, it could could well be. Yeah, um, they've got Newcastle after that, and Newcastle got a great record against Everton recently. Um, FA Cup quarter final, which is just kind of protect, uh, you know, give it a little bit of a distraction. Then West Ham, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, and Brentford. That is a that's a murderer's row of running. That is so tough as a running that you'd almost say, you know, if they don't beat Wolves and Newcastle in the next two games, they're they're knackered because this that is a run you would not, you know, wish on anyone. They've also got Watford and Crystal Palace to be postponed, by the way. But you know, even those games as well, they're must win. Everything's must win now for Everton. Also, if you just look at this weekend, so Everton have got Wolves, as you say, this weekend. And I'd fancy Wolves to win that because it's the kind of game they win. They will win it 1-0. Burnley's next game at the weekend is against Brentford. So if Burnley beat Brentford, which is very, very likely, if Wolves beat... Yeah, I mean, suddenly Everton are in the relegation zone. And that starts to send shockwaves and panic through that squad and that puts a different perspective on stuff just the the the, the specter of being in the relegation zone can cause those nerves and Everton already look really nervy to step in that little bit bigger I think probably the positive for Everton if we can look at a positive from this is maybe it wouldn't be that bad if they got relegated because there's a lot of big contracts at that football club. There's a lot of big players that they just need to get rid of. They could do with a bit of a rip it up and start again mentality because I think this rot's been setting in for the last five years or so at Everton. And if you could lose a few of those players who have got no doubt relegation release causes in their contracts and you can offload a few, rip it up, start again. Because the youth players, the younger players at Everton, they're the ones that look hungry. Would they have relegation relegation release causes in it? Yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not sure that's, footballers do. I'm, 
I'm not sure that's a, a common thing when you join a, a club like Everton. For a fee, it's not relegation, like a relegation relief. It's not like a free transfer if you get relegated, but there'll be a value put on their relegation. I, I, I imagine be, I imagine I some sure of the, that, but. the players that are relatively new to the club, if Deli Ali's agent has learnt anything from Harry Kane's agent, it's when he's dealing with contracts is to read the small print. I reckon Ali mm. moving to Everton in the January transfer window won't have had Charlie Kane advising him. I think he will have looked into it and <laughs> maybe had a, a relegation clause inserted into mm. his contract. They've, they've still got to pay for him, you know. They've still got to pay once he plays, um, I think it's 20. Uh, is it 20 Premier League games and there was 18 remaining or something when, when he joined Everton so they still have to pay for him so if they did go down they probably wouldn't pay for him they'd probably, they'd probably try and send him back to, to Spurs because he hasn't met the, the clause and they'll say mm. well he hasn't played this many games so so take him back but him and him and Donny van der Beek I mean when I said good morning this morning I, I forgot to say to accept uh, accept Deli Alli and Donny van der Beek who looked at the proposal from Newcastle in January and said we don't fancy a relegation fight we'll go to Everton <laughs> <laughs> how's that working out for you you yeah. pair of plebs we should just say Spurs were very very good last night and I think Harry yeah. Kane he was back to 2001 Harry Kane as well 2001? 2021 sorry I think Harry Kane was, was yeah. I think he was still in school that's, that's real yeah. grassroots football Jim that's why we have you on you know scouting around the leagues of North London watching you know watching schoolboy football um, before we take a break Jim I do want to ask you about Tottenham because when a team wins 5-0 normally they're the topic of conversation but because of the issues at Everton they have taken the focus away Conte Bingo was in full swing again last night they lose to Burnley he's ready to burn the club down they get back on track and beat Leeds everything's rosy in the garden they lose to Middlesbrough he's cracking heads off the changing room wall and then last night he's gone from saying I think less than a week ago it's impossible for them to leave, uh, to f- finish in the top four to now saying that things have changed and it's very possible I, he's just trolling us by this stage he, he's a character that I do look at sometimes and think he's playing chess while we're playing Monopoly and if Tottenham do get into the top four we'll look back at this and say here we were scrabbling around trying to piece together what he was talking about but sometimes you just kind of have to let him at it because he does know what he's doing by and large and maybe take what he says with a pinch of salt yeah, he's the fiery Italian cliche, isn't he? He's all reaction. And maybe part of what he was being talking about in the press was there to motivate the players. And Tottenham looked hungrier last night. They looked like they had a point to prove. Like I said earlier, they pressed hard. They broke fast. They played with a determination. And Harry Kane looked like the player he used to be. Two good goals. The first was down to his movement as well. Put Keane in all sorts of trouble tracking back. And his final volleyed finish, that kind of placed volley, that is real skill to guide that in. It was a great finish. So, I mean, we, we, we know that if Keane... Yeah, I mean, we know if Kane plays well, Tottenham tick. And that kind of happened last night. I mean, the issues aren't fixed yet. One swallow does not make a summer, etc. to follow on with your cliched checkers and drafts and Monopoly or whatever it was. <laughs> Cliché, I'm going to follow up with one swallow doesn't make a summer. I mean, one win against a very, very poor Everton team doesn't fix all of the problems at White Hart Lane. But as we've said before, the crisis at Tottenham isn't really a crisis when you look at the table and you look how far they off off that top four finish, which would be a successful 
end of the season for them. If they get top four, that's it. Job done for Conte. Congratulations. Build on that next season. Get some new players in. Look at silverware the season after. So it's far from a crisis at Tottenham. Conte maybe is doing what he do does best and he is banging heads together and he's getting a reaction from his players. But yeah, don't necessarily believe the hype. Don't believe that he's actually going to fall on his sword and walk out of that club because it's too difficult because he does seem to slowly be making progress and let's see what they do in the next game. Two goals for Harry Kane on the night brings him up to 176 Premier League goals in his career. He's leapfrogged Thierry Henry into the sixth highest uh, Premier League goal scorer. Just quickly... Jim, Marley, do we know who is next in his target? Who's above him? Who's the next place above him? Ian Wright. <laughs> Marley, go on. So one, one for uh, Ian Wright and one for... No. <laughs> no, Ian Wright's below him, isn't he? Um, well, Shearer's at the top and then it's Rooney. Is it Lampard? It is. Oh, thank and, and in fairness, it is. In fairness, Frank, Frank Lampard should be grateful for small mercies because if Kane had got any more goals last night, that would have been another thing he would have been asked about in his uh, post-match press conference. But for now, Frank, your uh, your record is safe. Right, we are going to take a quick break. Before we take a break, though, two bits of breaking news from last night. Scotland's World Cup playoff against Ukraine has been postponed. The decision has been taken by UEFA and FIFA to provisionally move the game to this summer, obviously due to the security situation in Ukraine and also some FA Cup news Nottingham Forest are through to the quarterfinals 2-1 win over Middlesbrough last night and they will be facing Liverpool Huddersfield Huddersfield sorry I beg your pardon over Huddersfield my mistake uh, but they will be facing uh, Liverpool that's for sure in the next round and uh, Liverpool is the focus in part two Jurgen Klopp's side in Champions League action at Anfield tonight we're going to be previewing that game in just a second Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We've put Everton's defeat, they're hammering away at Tottenham to bed in part one of the show and in part two we are zipping across Stanley Park to talk Liverpool. Jim, Champions League action, Champions League back this week. Liverpool are in a strong position despite what Jurgen Klopp is saying. 2-0 win away in Milan in the first leg has given them a big, big advantage. Obviously no away goals in the Champions League so far this season. So they are in a strong position technically potentially they can push on and win a double treble maybe even a quadruple if everything falls for for Klopp and his players in the next few weeks so given the fact that they've got this 2-0 advantage Klopp is talking about how it's a terrible lead how it's difficult to maintain the usual Jurgen Klopp press conference he's obviously not going to he's obviously not going to give too much away he is going to make sure that his players keep their focus but if you're a Liverpool fan looking at this, you'd be confident that you've already got one foot in the quarterfinals. You've got one eye on Brighton this weekend. Short of a real disaster, particularly at home in Europe and Anfield, Liverpool should be safely through. 
Yeah, Liverpool are the best team in Europe at the moment and I don't see them letting a 2-0 lead slip, particularly at home and particularly at this stage in the Champions League. I mean, other teams, you can sometimes think they might get complacent at that scoreline, but you don't see that in Liverpool, even when they have their wobbles, even when they have their slightly shaky moments like they did against West Ham at the weekend, they still seem to come out on top. So I've no doubt that Jurgen Klopp will make some changes. I don't think he'll go 100% full strength, but at the same time, he's not going to take any huge risks. And Liverpool have done well over the last couple of windows and they've managed to get themselves in a situation where previously we talked about the Liverpool starting eleven being the strongest, but they're not being that much depth to the team. They seem to have been addressing that over the last few windows and they now have that depth and they're able to make changes particularly to that front three and keep it fresh and enabling them to kind of fight on these four fronts we're talking about and although the quadruple seems like a ridiculous unachievable goal if anyone can do it I don't think there's many teams that have got closer to Liverpool at the moment to getting to that quadruple situation. The team news when it drops tonight for Liverpool, Mali, will be the big focus because they are managing a busy run of games. They've got FA Cup, Champions League, Premier League that they need to manage between now and the end of the season. Thiago Alcantara and Joel Matip are both back, both fit. Jurgen Klopp has confirmed. Roberto Firmino's probably not going to make it. Brighton this weekend's more likely for him. So in terms of how Klopp plays this, as Jim says, he's not going to tear up the team sheet and just make 10 changes to the start in 11, but he does need to strike a little bit of a balance. In the FA Cup against Norwich, he rested Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, who we know are central to everything that Liverpool do well in an attacking sense. James Milner and Kostas Simikas came in to cover. That could potentially happen again last night, but uh, tonight even. But up the top, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, I don't understand how this has happened. They were supposed to be tired when they came back from AFCON. They played all the way through AFCON. They played 120 minutes against each other in the final and penalties. Mo Salah was back that night and back in training the next day. Sadio Mane said, give me a couple of days, we're having a party. Then he came back. They've both hit the ground running. They've started six of seven games since coming back from AFCON duty. Just missed that that FA Cup win over Norwich. Salah's completed 90 in all of those games except for West Ham this weekend. Surely, as fantastic as they are, they do need a little bit of a break. They're not superhuman. Uh, yeah, they, they, they probably do need a little bit of a break, but it's not going to come, I don't think, a, a Inter in... Um in the Champions League, you know, knockout stages, I think, you know, with it being at Anfield, I think they'll, they'll start and they'll sort of guard against anything really. Cause I think the one thing you don't want to do if, if you Liverpool is encourage Inter and give them any lifeline into this game and give them any more boosts than, than you need to do. Like I think if Inter came to Anfield tonight and seen Mane and or Salah not starting either one of them, they'd be like, okay, they're, they're they're resting it. Uh, they're resting their best players. They're not quite at their best. So let's properly, you know, chuck the kitchen sink at them type of thing and and see if we can get at least one goal in the first half. And then it gets a bit nervy and, and you you sort of get yourself into the match a little bit. But I can't. I can see uh, Mane and Salah starting. Um, Liverpool, you know, getting getting the better of the match. Um, you know, mm. sneaking a you know 
going one nil up and then taking them off after about an hour's time um, and say right lads your job's done we've got Brighton at half 12 on Saturday so um, we'll we'll rest you for now and, and everyone will understand that and then they bring on like Luis Diaz Jota or Firmino if he makes it and you think friggin hell what who else have they got on this bench that that, that can come on and hurt us uh, or even Harvey Elliott or Origi or you know there's there's plenty of options there there's plenty of poisons in which to choose from so um, Inter will Inter will give it a good go but they're they're in a proper tight title race in Italy now um, as well so even their uh, sort of approach to the game is is um, on on other things as well you know that I think they went two points behind uh, AC at the top of the league um, in in the sort of recent weeks um, and they've they've got a game in hand on that on them so they want to bring that title back to to the blue and black of of Milan um and yeah I just I, I can't see them winning at Anfield by three goals I just can't see that happening um Liverpool look far too good for to let that happen um so I can see it being uh, another sort of narrow Liverpool win tonight the thing about Liverpool is it doesn't really matter who plays up front because they've got goals and it doesn't matter what combination, what three they play, they will score. I mean, just look at the Premier League top scorers table at the moment and the top three positions are Liverpool players, Jota, Mane and Salah. And I I don't think, I might be wrong with this, but I don't think there is a team that has finished with even two, the top two top scorers in the Premier League being from the same club. Maybe Cole and Dwight back in the late 90s with Man United or something like that but I don't think it's happened before and that's real testament to their depth the fact they have got these attacking options Salah, Jota, Diaz, Mane, Firmino you've got these different players that can come in and do an equal job so I I, I disagree with Marley slightly actually I think it'll be Salah, Jota and Diaz that start tonight and that'll be enough to get the job done but it remains to be seen and like I say it doesn't really matter because whoever it is you feel like they'll get it done uh, give us a quick prediction on this before we take a break. Marley, throw back across to you. 2 0 on aggregate as it stands. Liverpool going through. What's the score in this one? Uh, I'd say 2 1 to Liverpool tonight. So 4 1 on aggregate. Jim, would you agree? Win to go through. Dominant performance. 4 1 on aggregate is probably maybe a little bit generous. No, I think that's probably about what it's going to be, actually. I fancy Milan to get a goal, but I think Liverpool just have too much for them, particularly at home. I think 4-1's probably around where it'll be, which means it'll be 3-0 to Inter Milan. <laughs> They'll go through, but who knows? Hopefully Jurgen Klopp is listening to what we're saying, and maybe he makes a few changes, but not too many. Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen and Emil Heskey up front, that's who, that's who some Liverpool fans will want to see, so they can protect their, uh, protect their golden boys for Brighton this weekend. Right, we are going to take another break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we are talking Marcus Rashford. Rashford is reportedly unhappy at his game time at Old Trafford and despite the fact I can't believe I'm really saying this, Rashford wants out of Manchester United. Yes, potentially the golden boy could be moving on this summer. We're going to be picking the bones out of that and the latest nonsense from Manchester United in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Hello and welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, as always here on FSD, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. Right the way up until the end of what's going to be a cracker of a Premier League season, we'll be producing a daily Premier League podcast. If you click subscribe up the top there, you can get access to a brand new show every step of the way. Right, we're going to be talking about Manchester United to wrap up today's show even. Jim, Marcus Rashford is the latest subject of a leak from Manchester United. We all thought that they had fixed the roof at Old Trafford and that the leaks had reduced, but they just keep on coming. Obviously, the derby fallout from the weekend, losing to Manchester City. Things are a bit tense in and around United at the moment. Ralph Rangnick, Cristiano Ronaldo... And now Marcus Rashford. According to reports across the board, Fabrizio Romano has been one of the main uh, people putting this forward. Rashford is unhappy about the amount of football that he's playing under Rangnick. Now, he's only started two Premier League games in 11 in 2022. And the crucial thing for me in this is that only one of those absences was injury-related or that was confirmed as injury-related by Manchester United. So you can see Rashford's point that he is frustrated and there's so many things swirling around Manchester United at the moment that Rashford's almost maybe been forgotten. And that's possibly tying into this idea that now he wants to leave. Could this story have wheels under it? Could there be a possibility where Marcus Rashford walks out of Manchester United? I mean, one thing to remember is that when a club is in crisis, particularly a club like Manchester United, there is a furious hunger from the press pack to get the latest story, the latest disaster, the latest bit of juicy gossip. And this could play into that narrative. But that said, I wouldn't be surprised if Marcus Rashford did want to leave because it's not just under Ralph Ragnick he's been a bit part player the last couple of managers seem to have sidelined him a little bit and we've put that down previously to injury we know he struggled with a soldier injury, shoulder injury that he then had an operation on so that was kind of part of why he was marginalised but now he's back he's fit and he should be playing more he's not a young man anymore in footballing terms he's 24 he's no longer the protégé he's at that position in his career where he needs to be starting week in week out and if he can't get into a Manchester United team that are performing the way they're performing at the moment, how is he going to fit into a Manchester United team who get to where they want to be and have taken that step further towards being back in the top four regulars and back in the champion um, contending for the Premier League title? So I think they'll, they'll be the questions that are in Marcus Rashford's head at the moment. That said, I think it's easy to make Ralph Rangnick out as the villain of this piece because of Marcus Rashford's a hero status in the city of Manchester for what he does off the football pitch, but B, the fact he is or was this great white hope for Manchester United as well. He was the player, the homegrown talent that everyone thought was going to be a world beater. So he has got this relationship with the club and the fans that very few players of that football club has. So it's easy to paint Rangnick as the villain for not playing him. But obviously Ralph Rangnick and the previous managers as well that have not looked at him as a regular are seeing something, be it in match day squads, be it on the training ground that means he's not quite at the level that's required. So potentially it could be time for Rashford to look elsewhere and Manchester United fans won't like it for all the reasons I've just listed, but maybe he's not at Manchester United's level. Maybe he's not the player that they need and maybe he needs a fresh start himself. He needs to go somewhere else. He needs a different coach to challenge him. He needs different players around him so he can kick on and fulfill his potential. 
Marley, Jim is right that sometimes in these situations this is a case of throwing meat to the wolves in terms of giving journalists something to write about and something to talk about. But is this as plain as Marcus Rashford is unhappy or frustrated that he's not playing? Or is this another symbol of the problems that are rolling on at Manchester United? He's under contract until next summer. They've got another extension where they can string it out until 2024 if they want to keep him. So if this was maybe a different club or, as Jim said, a different player at Manchester United that wasn't Marcus Rashford, this would be a bit more of an open-shut case. He's not playing. He's frustrated. He wants to leave. The club will consider it. But because it's Rashford, we look at this differently is that the case or is this just a situation whereby the manager doesn't really fancy him previous managers haven't been completely convinced by him and we shouldn't maybe be blinded by the the like the love that we and so many people have for Rashford in that if it's not working maybe he should be allowed to leave yeah it's uh it's a strange one this um because I can see I can see all kinds of things happening. Um firstly I can't really see Rashford playing for another team. I always think, you know, obviously with his affinity towards the club and, you know, where he's from and everything, I can always see him in a Man United shirt, whether that's in the first team or not. Um but it goes back to what I was saying saying yesterday, um said on yesterday's podcast that you know, Man United can't plan for the future because they've got no they don't know who's the manager's gonna be. So all it takes for the new manager to come in uh, is when he comes in is to put his arm around Rashford and say, you're in my plans and he might well sign another three-year deal, simple as that, and you know, um, and get his form back. Or he might come in and say, you know what, you've not been great over the last couple of years. Um, I think I can get a decent price for you, so we're going to sell you. Um, but you can't take that decision until probably the start of next season because you need to get a manager in. Then he needs to see him in pre-season and probably a couple of games as well, um, at a very minimum. And then you then you can make that choice and sit down and have that discussion about whether he wants to start again somewhere else or or not. So, you know, talking about it now is almost like, you know, obviously we've got to talk about it because the the reports are coming out. But it's almost like irrelevant because we can't. You know, we could say he's done, he's dusted, but the new manager, if it's Pochettino, for example, I think Pochettino would probably love to work with him and, and probably say, you know, you're my type of player. I, I think I can get the best out of you. Um, and and uh, and let's let's give it another go. Well, Jesse Lingard was was sold uh, sold a, a pipe dream by uh, by the powers that be at Man United in the summer, saying uh, we'll give you games, we'll give you games, and then they didn't give you games. Um, and here he is sitting on the bench all season. The only reason he's getting games now is because of uh, the, the all the injuries Man United have got up front and the Mason Greenwood case, who who who's obviously took him out of contention for for Man United's uh, starting spots and things like that. So. It could be similar with Rashford, but but even on that case, even in that situation, if you look at the summer, you're probably expecting Cavani to leave. Ronaldo might leave. Martial's obviously already gone. Um, as I mentioned, Greenwood ain't coming back anytime soon. So that does leave gaps there for, for Rashford to, to push through and, and recapture his form and be... A Man United first team player in in you know for the coming years because he's got the talent in my opinion definitely he just needs to find his best position and a bit of confidence from somewhere um, and he'll be that player again because we we've seen the levels he can get to when he's when he's on his top form he's he's fantastic player um, Sancho Rashford and and a striker as as a front three could be could be superb for Man United with Bruno in behind them as well so I think. Um, 
I still think there's he's not a lost cause yet. He just needs needs a bit of confidence and he needs a bit of um, a bit of love. But that can't come from uh, a club that has a manager for six months and then he's going to move upstairs and then a new guy's going to come in. Um, and we're seeing that now. I think. I think the I think the Lampard sorry the, the Lampard thing. I think I think the Lingard thing is significant though, Marley. I think you're right there that Lingard's been promised something that's not been delivered. He's been convinced two or three times now in windows that his future lies at Manchester United and he's going to get an opportunity and it's not happened and we know how close Rashford and Lingard are they're always photographed together they're mates on the training pitch they'll be talking to each other and Lingard will be you don't want to find yourself in my situation Marcus you don't want to find yourself being promised game time and then wasting your career on the bench about five years older as well isn't he so you'll see him as a a sort of uh, not not quite a father figure, but certainly someone he he looks he looks at with with a, with a bit of guidance towards his career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what we need to do is sit them down, and, and we need to tell them that the logical step for both of their careers is to up sticks and come to the London Stadium. I think Lingard and Rashford in West Ham shirts next season is the solution that suits everyone. Do you know what? I've, I've, seen, a, I've seen a couple of, of things that, that make a little bit of sense um, regarding Rashford's future. And obviously one is, is Newcastle with the, the project and things like that. And, you know, if he does leave just come a bit further north up to up to Newcastle and be part of the, the whole new dawn, new project type of thing. Um, I did see something before saying, like, if Man United have have this kind of capital, could you involve Rashford in a move to try and get Harry Kane? <laughs> could you could you use him as a makeway? And that doesn't make, you know, that, I mean, it has a little bit of substance to it, I think, because, you know, if Man United need a striker, if they've got the money to to stick 100 million plus Rashford for, for Harry Kane. You know, I don't think that's the, the worst idea in the world. But It does, but does Harry Kane... That, that's it. I mean, Harry Kane, if he leaves Tottenham, the one thing he wants to do and the one thing he's been very public about is winning trophies. Yeah. And so to, if that's his intention, it. he's not going to go to Manchester United, is he? The best <laughs> win in the world. He's not going to take that risk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's being pulled in all directions, Marcus Rashford. Where he's going to end up, we don't know. And it's probably going to depend on uh, who takes over from Manchester United this summer. Quickly, Jim, because it's just popped into my head. Would you take a swap deal, let's say 50 mil and Marcus Rashford for Declan Rice? Oof, that's Ooh. tough. <laughs> um, do you know what? I probably would. Because I think Declan Rice will leave this summer. I think we're looking at... 80, 90 million, and would you value Marcus Rashford at the 40 million ballpark? Yeah, you probably would. I know he's not a regular 15 goals a season striker. He's only achieved that once in his career with Manchester United, but the potential is there and he's the right age as well. So if we're resigned to leaving Declan Rice, losing Declan Rice, which I think we probably are, I think that would be a fair exchange, as long as we can then invest the other 50 million on Calvin Phillips. That's the caveat. Okay, well, that's the, that's Jim's long plan for West Ham. Gold, Sullivan, there you go. You've heard it here first. That's how you start negotiations this summer. Right, we're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Marley, Jim, as always, thanks for your time. Cheers. Cheers, guys. 
great stuff indeed. Don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast to get access to a latest episode every single day of the Premier League season. The gang will be back tomorrow reviewing Liverpool's Champions League game against Inter and building up to yet more, yes, yet more Premier League midweek action. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.